people just like you have taken the brave step to do this thing we call work differently. They tell their self-unlimited story to inspire and encourage you. Another story begins now. Today, it's my great pleasure to be speaking with my very good friend, Neville Christie. Welcome, Neville. Oh, yes. Thank you, Helen. Great to uh, speak again. Well, Neville, you are somebody who I'm very excited to be talking with today for the Self Unlimited podcast because you're a person who's currently 80 years old and has a workscape that's 68 years old because you consider yourself to have been a person who started working at the age of 12. So yeah. I think there's lots that you might be able to share with us in terms of what you've seen and done. And in terms of you and I knowing each other, our workscapes intersected about four years ago when we met actually at that Creativity Melbourne conference. And since then, we had an opportunity to collaborate in a couple of ways. And I love the way that you see the world and you have a unique take on what could be happening in business and what could be happening in the world more broadly where business and workplaces intersect. So within that, my dear friend, what wisdom could you share with us? All right, I'd like to frame the discussion back to where we started about four years ago, that uh, in the, sure. last, the last two years of the last decade, uh, as you know, I was writing, preaching, running workshops with you around the fact that I was very sure that this decade would be one of revolution and, and tumultuous change. I was actually saying that uh, this decade would be characterised by 40 tsunami-like events. Mm-hmm that would change the total personal, social, technological, ecological, economic and political fabric of our global society and that by the end of this decade, after going through a lot of lot of change and tumult, not only just in work but, but in our relationships, our society, our political systems, we would see the flowering of like an Italian renaissance, mm. a new renaissance, and I believe that even more now. So my my first point is that this is a time of radical change, unlike, I think, well, I'm sure unlike any of us have experienced, Mm. uh, not just with climate change and, you know, the war in Ukraine, which is the first major war. There's been civil wars, but first major war since World War II and, of course, the pandemic, and there's a lot more to come. Mm. So so my, my theme and response is that, Work now needs to be seen quite differently than we've ever defined it before. Mm. Uh, That secondly, the past is a foreign country. It's a dead country. And any of us who are still psychologically and emotionally rooted in the past are either dead, dying, redundant or obsolete. So our response needs to be a radical flexibility. And uh, I guess they're my major themes uh, that I'd like to explore you. Sure. So when you say it's dead dying, I think many people have a sense, but I'm alive and and what's going on in my reality right now, there's nothing particularly affecting my reality. Yes, there might be these things going on, but they're out there. They're not touching me. Yes. I said emotionally or in terms of psychology, you know, mindset that that really we've had a period since the Second World War of unparalleled growth and peace and globalization, Americanization. We've had extraordinary development of world communication technology social media all of which has given us sort of like an upward trajectory of uh, and a continuity so that the past has been you know take the past and multiply it by 10 and you've got a really good view of the future but the 
events that are occurring, like just take the pandemic, think of the huge number of discontinuities that that introduced, working Mm. from home, businesses closing down, uh, governments taking a much greater, or particularly say our our conservative government taking a much greater intervention role than is part of their philosophy, spending more money, you know, distributing more. Uh, uh, all of these are major, major discontinuities, the ongoing floods and fires and evidence of global change and, uh, and the new technologies are, are all, it's like, like now uh, between the past, the present and the future, there's a chasm. That's what I mean, that the past is now mm. a dead country that we mm. That sort of saying we want to live in the past and we're waiting for the past, uh, you know, the old ways to return is a vain hope. It's not going to happen. And that's why our workplaces are being changed. And, and, you know, uh, at the moment, for example, I heard a report on the ABC just three days ago where it said that only 15% of Melbourne's CBD is now occupied, the office. Only 18% of uh, Sydney and the other states which were less impacted with closed down, the, the biggest of any of the state's CBDs uh, is 54%. Right. And, and that CEOs are now saying, you know, uh, examining how much office space they really need because they're aware that people are not going to return to working full-time in, in the office or wherever. Mm. Uh, so the hybrid workplace is now an ongoing thing and many many of the most talented people are now realizing that they don't want to be part of that corporate or business or mm. government scene they they now want to work more independently away from home so employers are going to find it harder and harder to get talent you know especially with migration down etc uh, mm. travel down that in order to get talent a they will need to go internationally and B, they will need to subcontract it or, you know, sort of work with independent contractors rather than full-time paid employees under their thumb and control in the office. That's a revolution. And yes. the interesting thing for me, Neville, is you're not just sitting in an armchair thinking about these things, which people might think, oh, well, that's what 80-year-old people do. They just sit and comment on these things. What in this? <laughs> I'm only 18 years in terms of my mindset, uh, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so for those who might be in their twenties, thirties, forties, who are thinking, you know, there's this retirement thing that happens around sixty. What is this guy who's eighty telling me stuff? Give a bit of people a bit of a sense of what is it that you do, because you're All not right. sitting around in an armchair just thinking about this. Right, can you ask me that question again? Because I just want to attack something that this is part of a past mindset that you know nearly everybody is locked into the notion that retirement is 65 hmm. but that was totally arbitrarily it occurred after the second world war in yes. america when all of the american soldiers were returning and the president at the time realized that uh, a lot of these young men would not get work and so he got a demographic analysis done that said that if he made the retirement age 65 a whole lot of the oldies but goldies would have to leave and create new jobs for the new mm. ones. And so 65 was a demographic thing based on the United States population. It was right. totally, totally arbitrary to meet a political end. Yes. There's no logical reason why retirement should be 65 or any other age. In fact, for me, you should never retire because the average Australian male after retiring, spends a year travelling and or playing golf, or used to. Yes. And then after that, 
he spends 44 hours a, a week uh, watching television. Right. Uh, well, that's, <laughs> it's a wonderful um, that you, I mean, I love that you know all these historical facts and you can bring them. And it also brings to the foreground that many of the things that we take as a given about work were a decision at some point in a historical context. I mean, even the fact that we work Monday to Friday, eight to five, people think, oh, that's what work is. It's like, well, no, at some point, that's not what work was. Yes. yes, yes. A a decision was made and here we are. Well, another thing that I think is very relevant to, to why I think reinvention is key and radical flexibility is the key, not, not retirement is that if you read any of the Dickensian and Dickens novels, you realise just how appalling the work conditions were in industrial Britain with so many people leaving the land and so on, children working from, you know, in the mines and up chimneys and whatever for all sorts of ages. And, and I'm not positive about this fact, but I, uh, Victoria was either the first or one of the first uh, states in the world to bring about the 40-hour week, the eight-hour day. I remember something, there was a celebration by one of the trade unions in recent years celebrating that fact of Victoria and Australia. Mm. Yes, well, Australia and especially Victoria was way up there. And in fact, if you go up to the Trades Hall Council uh, outside the old Emily McPherson building up there, you will find a big statue to the eight-hour day. And we did have a public holiday called the Eight Hour Day Holiday. Oh, wow. And that's now called Moomba Day. Right. Okay, so, which sometimes people call Labor Day. That celebrated this transformation mm. from the work uh, week being 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week to mm. being 40. And I want to postulate that by the end of this decade, the statutory work week will be 20 hours. Mm. And... Why do I say that? Well, it's already happening. Like a large number of people now uh, in terms of of working from home are still only working part-time. A large number of service jobs are part-time. And we now know that robots are going to take over. Like in Japan, they even now have sex robots. Mm. Uh, And so many of the things that we just absolutely took for granted are changing and like a full working week with robots being taxed in order to create income for the government, for taxable income. I believe we're moving very strongly from a statutory 40-hour week to a statutory 20-hour week. And that's revolutionary, absolutely revolutionary, and the bust is dead. It's no longer a guide to to our current situation. Which I think creates a situation where people have to rethink this notion of work because I think they tend to think work is there is an employer, I gave my time and expertise and I got money. So if I'm going to do that for 20 hours a week, am I just in leisure the rest of the time? And I think people have the ability to put their time and talents into other things, but it might not be for the exchange of money. I don't think it's a case that people will go, well, if the 20 hours is the work and I'm using air quotes here, then that rest of the time is me sitting on a beach drinking cocktails. Yes. Uh, Look, I think you're on an absolute key point there in terms of our change of mindsets and dividing our thinking away from the past. Because uh, as you sort of hinted, Work tends to be equated with paid work, doesn't it? Yes. Uh, If we redefine work and say work is any meaningful, purposeful activity where we change resources and get a useful, worthwhile output, 
Then we start to say that creating a symphony, painting a painting, digging the garden, cooking a meal can be work, can mm. be meaningful, can be purposeful. Yeah. And part of what I, you know, I'm working on very hard, and we might want to come back that near the end, that, that I think there are seven areas of life now that we need to see are areas where we need to work. Uh, just one of them, for example, is that most of our skill sets that we have now are increasingly not relevant or not relevant in their current form mm. uh, to the future. So that part of where we've got to start working a lot harder, if you like, is in ongoing learning. Mm. And, and again, the pandemic has done an incredible job of taking so much learning that took place in institutions and schools and whatever, and consultants who, you know, ran training courses, it's taken that online. And it means that, you know, it's available on demand at very low costs. And it means that, you know, we can allocate a regular part of our week to ongoing learning. You also mentioned the need for creativity. My researchers have told me that before the age of six, Nearly every single one of us can do that's, you know, born with the normal range of abilities. Every single one of us can paint, draw, sculpt, make up stories, uh, mm. act. We can do everything. But by the time we go to school and there's a lockdown in our left brain, by about the time of seven or eight, we can only do one of them. But that ability for us to dance and sing and create and compose and, you know, sculpt, that's within every single one of us. Yes. And it, I'm arguing that part of the work we need to do now is to re-tap into that. And that's yeah. part of why, frankly, uh, you know, at 80, I still feel like I'm 18. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's interesting you say that tap into that creativity because I think the examples you were giving there, people might think, oh, it's very much about artistic type endeavours. And I think, well, when we consider many of the challenges we have in the world, if people had talent they had a creative mindset and they had more time because they were freed up from their statutory work. What if people were now deployed in community efforts for tackling things like the environment? Yes, yes. And in the past, sort of work has been, as we said, pretty well linked to paid work and, and that ignores all the wonderful work that house managers do and volunteers do, you know. Uh, all of that is work, but, you know, it tends to in the past to have been mm. If we start to put a value on volunteering work and, you know, being a home manager and, as you say, addressing climate issues, because work has been mainly economic and social in the in, in the past, mm. with, in the last 20 years becoming technological as well. Now work has to also be, be geopolitical because the geopolitical environment is changing so much. You can't mm. ignore what's for example happens with supply chains between us and China we can't ignore the impact of all the economic sanctions that are occurring because of the Russian invasion of Ukraine mm. so for the first time since the end of the second world war work now is both geopolitical social personal technological and it has to be ecological we yes. have, we have to see our contribution as citizens and as people who are working whether it's paid or unpaid mm. of preserving the environment taking care of the environment mm. uh, that's something every individual has to do it's not 
just a government thing. Yes, something I'm very big on with self-unlimited concepts is around the idea of the value exchange, that everybody has many different elements of value. Your time and your expertise is just two value elements, and you would tend to think, well, the exchange, the value exchange in work is I get money in return, maybe I get some privileges and some other benefits. But I think when you start to say, actually, that value exchange could be very different in terms of what I put in and what I get out. And one of the things that I often mention too is it's not just value that you get for yourself. It may be value that you want to see created for others, whether that's about social impact or for others. So to your point about that geopolitical, it's about recognizing that I can create value in what I do that is for myself as well as for others and that they can be related because, you know, when we consider that many years ago, many people had their own little plot of land where maybe they grew some vegetables and and which supplemented their food supply into their home. Whereas there are many people now who are like, Oh no, no, you get the food at the grocery stores and you mentioned supply chains. If you think about, well, if supply chains are disrupted and foods no longer coming into the grocery store, how are you going to eat? Exactly. And there's two things there that I love about what you said. The first thing is that in the past, a famous guy named Peter Drucker said that the sole purpose of business was to create a customer. And that's a very profound thing to have said, I think, because it moves away from making a profit as the thing. But now the sole end of business and work is really to create community, to be part of a community. Mm. Uh, And that community starts with the family, the extended family, the local community, and then our online communities that we build. And Mm. the whole shift, we saw that with COVID, and we're seeing it with the disasters that are happening around the world. For example, the floods that are happening in Australia now, that people are saying, you know, the government is not responding. They are not doing, they're not giving us the money. Yes, that's true. But at the same time, what's happening at the communities coming together and supporting each other, helping each other, you know, Mm. sharing the load. And in this time of ongoing turbulence and revolution that we're going to have for the rest of this decade, community, extended family, adding value to others as well as taking value is absolutely, absolutely cool, I believe. Mm. Mm. Yeah. You and mentioned about learning and that I think there's value in doing the learning but there is value that comes that gets created from the learning in terms of we might now have new insight we might have new skill and ability and considering that you have had a very long workscape where some of the learning started for you at the age of 12 when you look back as much as the past is kind of gone there are things that have happened in the past that have probably been key learning moments for you possibly even unlearning moments as you've been being progressing to this changing future are there some that you might bring to our attention that you see as particularly valuable? I'd like to reframe that because I am putting my time and my money where my mouth is about the past being a dead country. And for the first time in my life, because I so much believe that the renaissance that ahead is going to be based on very different principles from mm. what past, I'm doing three or four things. The first yes. is that I've taken off this year as the first sabbatical I've had in my whole life. Brilliant. Yes. The so what second, does the sabbatical look like? Or maybe you can come back to that. Tell me the list of things yeah. and we'll come back well, to what the sabbatical looks like. The second thing I'm doing is that I find being an 80-year-old and sort of going through many transformations, I've collected a huge number of books, uh, records, clothes, impedimenta, souvenirs, mementos, workshops, notes, 
and relationships and I, I re- relation well i'll come back to that one too in a minute uh well i'll do that now i just found recently i had 5500 contacts on my iphone and wow accidentally i with an in inverted commas i sure. deleted the whole lot and i've now gone back to to finding the record and reducing that to 279 because Many of the relationships that I had in the past are not ones that I will want in the future. And, of Mm. course, you're you're one of the future ones. Thanks. Uh, So what I'm seeking to do, and I'm doing it gradually, is getting rid of all of these things that are tying me to the past. I'm Mm. clearing them out. And I'm euphorically seeking to get down to one suitcase and one carry-on bag. Yes. The next thing I'm doing is that I'm, I'm putting my feet firmly at the end of the decade with the Italian Renaissance, uh, the, 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 not the Italian, I keep using that as an analogy because there was a great Italian Renaissance that occurred after the Black Plague in the 13th and 14th centuries. Mm. Uh, and, and we're going through a similar historical epoch. So what I'm, I'm doing is researching and looking at the technologies, the social processes, the programs that will bring that uh, Renaissance about. Mm. And so I've identified 80 technologies that I've taken a small investment in so that I can modify them. Uh, Seven years ago with a team of us, we created a business based on the blockchain and based on cryptocurrencies called sharing. Because again, what I'm seeking to do over and over again is to move my thinking and my actions away from what I do and what affects me. To, to collaboration and to working collaboratively with others because I do strongly believe the future is about community and about mm. collaboration. And we find our individualism and our contentment and our aspirations within the collectivity much more than we have in the last, you know, since the Second World War. Mm. And sharing was one of those places <coughs> where our workscapes intersected when I actually worked inside that organisation for a period of time. Yes. Well, it's going gangbusters. We've got 65 team members now in Vietnam. Right. Uh, We're beginning to make a significant impact. For me, that was one of those moments where I made a conscious choice in my workscape of there is a vision here about something that's good for community, good for the world on so many levels, which is why I chose consciously to put my time and talents into that organization and business for a period of time, which much might have looked like to people like, but that why are you doing that, Helen? That seems a bit odd and different than the sorts of things you were doing. But for me, that's part of a view and an orientation I have to the workscape of Helen Unlimited is that when I see things like that that I would like to support would like to encourage and that I think actually has some benefits and and so it was a bit experimental in terms of my involvement but it was a great way to see different things that were going on in the world and be in a different community of people and to hear different conversations yes and and that was part of you evidencing a radical flexibility that that's going to be increasingly important there's another issue there that I think sort of is hidden behind what we're talking about Helen Mm. and that is that we know that we have both what's been called a bicameral brain, you know, the left and right, the good and bad, the the black and white sort of brain, but we also have a holistic brain. And Mm. in the past, a lot of things have been around, a lot of thinking and strategy has been about one, you know, what is the one right way to do this? Mm. What is the best form of government? 
let's have one God and he's my God or she's my God and, you know, I'm going to kill you because you don't believe in my God. Or I must have one career. And and one career or one job. And go to a party and somebody says to you, oh, who are you? Mm. And what people answer is I'm a teacher or I'm an entrepreneur. Or I work at such and such a place because without that tether, it's like, well, I can't be anybody in society if I can't tether myself to an organisation as if I've somehow got value. Yes, and not only that, it's like that's where we place our identity. Yes. Who am I? I am my work. Mm. That's bullshit. Sorry. Uh, It is bullshit. It's absolute bullshit, but that's part of the past that we have been. So in the future, immediately future, as part of being more cooperative, being more diverse, one of the positives that I strengthen is that instead of having one source of income, we look to a family unit or to an extended family unit or to a group of friends and we consciously seek to create seven different sources of income. Mm. Why? Because the present is uncertain, the future is uncertain, the past is being eroded. So what gave me income and a source of joy and pleasure before might be wiped away by a flood. You know, I'm sitting in my house in Brisbane or wherever and I'm all very happy and the water rises and next thing I know I don't have a house Mm. and I, I don't have a job. Like the speed with which things can be wiped away today. Mm. You know, look at what's happening in Ukraine. The the number of people are being slaughtered there. Uh, There might be people listening thinking, okay, so what are these seven sources of income? Because I work for an employer and I get a paycheck or, you know, maybe I put some money in a bank and I get some return on my investment. What are these other potential sources of income? Well, uh, they're many and varied. And of course, I'm here using the source of income, not just in the sense of money income, but in terms of, I mean, why do we make money? What do we do with our money? We use our money to buy things that give us satisfaction of various sorts. Now, a source of income can be barter, can be trade, or a source of income can be suddenly for the first time doing something that we've wanted to do since six that gives us enormous value, that's income. So I'm actually saying that there are seven areas of goal setting or work or income, if you like, and here Mm. they are. The first is something that gives us adequate meaning and does give us a cash flow uh, of some sort. The second is that we work very strongly on holistic wellness, on our mind, body, spirit, soul, business and work integration so that we're coming more to the the community and the holistic mindset rather than the sort of bicameral right, wrong, black, white mindset. That requires work, but it also gives us enormous income, enormous satisfaction, and I want Mm. to come back to that in just a minute. Then some meaningful, creative, social community contribution, some volunteer work, whether Mm. we might get paid, we might get paid in friendships, we might get paid in terms of satisfaction of helping Mm. others, we might get paid because, uh, you know, we're provided with vegetables. Um, Of course, another area that requires work is relationships uh, being split asunder and mental health is a big issue at the moment, is meaningful relationships, uh, Mm. including loving and intimate relationships and including non-sexual relationships but but are of an intimate kind. Mm. Then the fifth area where we need to work 
this wide range of positive interest hobbies, music, mm-hmm. art, sport, travel, accommodation, making our workplace and our home simpler, more beautiful. Yes. One or two gorgeous works of art rather than, you know, 100 pieces of stuff. Yes. That we've already said about active involvement in community, but not just as a volunteer, but in actually building, rebuilding communities mm. as well. And the final area is the ongoing learning transformation. Mm. So it's feasible to have activities, work, even businesses in those seven areas. Yes. Um, and because I'm trying to bring around this idea that that money isn't the only value of exchange, mm. uh, I mean, we're seeing cryptos, for example, and I've invested heav- very heavily in cryptos. Shares, of course, uh, another tangible form. But I've created a thing called high views, high intrinsic value units. Mm. And uh, I've created um, banknotes with me as the treasurer. And <laughs> right. And, and I've got a physical number of these banknotes. What I'm seeking to do is to use high views as a means of inviting us all to put value on what we do. So. Mm. Hey, that was a beautiful meal, darling. I, I give that a ten high view value, or right. I give that. A, so here it is. And what would you like to buy uh, to get with your ten high views? Well, I'd love you to give me a massage. Yes. Uh, so yep. we can replace cash mm. with so many other forms of added value yes. that don't require cash, but enhance our well-being, our life. Yes our totality of of us as a human being. It is interesting to me how integrated the notion of money is around value. I mean, we use words like paid, spend, invest, when we talk about things like time or energy, when not money, but that language is so intrinsically linked to the notion of money. And like when you talked about sources of income, for Self Unlimited, there are seven responsibilities and they all begin with an R and one of them's revenue. But I often end up explaining to people, I don't literally mean only money for no. revenue. I mean, many forms of value. There are many forms of value that you have that you create for yourself that you can then contribute somewhere else or invest in somewhere else or, or use to create additional value for yourself or value for others. There's a whole value chain of these kinds of interactions going on. But often people, when they're trying to figure out, so what, what's value, they'll end up finding a financial equivalent. Oh, you know, you know, would would you actually sacrifice $20,000 of income if you could get, you know, a greater development opportunity? Oh, okay. Now I know what you mean. And we can say like, you know, a university course is going to cost you $150,000 or whatever. What if you can get that without paying cash, you're paying other things. And there's two interesting words I like there. The first was income. Break that down. Income. Yeah, something coming in. Something coming in. Now, once we see it like that, well, you know, vegetables coming in or Mm. uh, somebody that we have a loving relationship with and, you know, we want to spend time with, surely that's income. Yeah, Uh, coming in. And and I also love the notion that we're the Commonwealth of Australia. And mm. if you go back to the etymology of the word wealth, yes. it actually comes from the old English wheel. And wheel means well-being, shared, mm. common well-being. So when yeah. we talk about wealth, if we start seeing that that when I want to increase my wealth, what we're saying truly is I want to increase the common well-being 
the shared mm. well-being. And that starts to give us a different perspective on all of this. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things I want to cycle back to, too, in terms of that different perspective, you talked about a sabbatical. Yes. What's, what's a sabbatical? Many people think, oh, that's what academics do. And the reason I'm asking is there was a point I consciously in my life took a sabbatical from work and people were very confounded at the time. Like, what is this thing and why are you doing it? And gosh, that's a very luxurious kind of thing to be thinking about doing. So tell us about your notion of sabbatical. Well, it comes from the notion of the Sabbath or the day of rest, the sixth, you know, one day of rest in seven. So a sabbatical in the academic world was where you you had paid leave for a year in order to do more research or travel or expand your horizons and come back a better academic, a better teacher. So it's like the old agricultural notion of one field planted with corn, one put with potatoes and one lying fallow in order to regenerate and learn. So because of the amount of change going on, the fact that the past is so so misguiding a route to the future, I have felt that I needed to take the time to rethink, to relearn and jettison, literally get rid of. And that means that I'm just not taking on engagements. I'm just not doing all the things that, that I've always done. And in the past, if I've taken off two weeks holiday and gone to a tropical island, the first week I do relax and swim and whatever. But in the second week, I've always in the past started planning my next new businesses. And mm. you know, by the end of that, I, I'm just desperate to get back to, quote, work. Yes. And it's, it's a wonderful new experience for me to actually say, no, I'm not doing any of that old work. I'm wanting to learn the new work, the new creativity, the new mm. research, the new relationships, the, the new areas that are important. And I'm seeing this in a change that I would love to have happen with people's CVs. A curriculum vitae, if you look at it, is typically the story of our past. Yes. I had this job, I accomplished this, I did this. Occasionally, you'll find a CV that has these are the goals I aspire to. Mm. But because of the part of the radical flexibility, part of what we've got to think about is who do I want to be at the end of this decade? Mm. How, what contribution do I want to make to the new renaissance? What contribution do I want to make to the ecology of the planet? And these are future-oriented things. Mm. So what I'm forced back then on is, A, my talent and my know-how. Now, talent is what's inbuilt born. Mm. And if we take those inborn things and develop them uh, into skills and eventually mastery, we have the basis of much greater satisfaction. So I think our lives and our, our CVs, if you like, need to go back, first of all, to our base of talents. What is it mm. that we have that we were born with and we have natural skill at? Uh, yeah. And then we need to be spending the time to turn those into mastery. But it's mastery about creating the new renaissance. Mm. So our CV says, I haven't done this before, but I believe I could do this, 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 and the other. I would like to be able to work on this, 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 and this. Which I think comes to your point when you described me and you yourself as having radical flexibility, that there's a meta level of skills. Like I have the skill of radical flexibility. And yeah. that is evidenced by the fact that I did these things. And I think people get quite literal and think, oh, you know, can you demonstrate when you handled finance? And it's like, well, yes. 
but actually isn't it more interesting when I didn't handle finance or I went without money for a period of time and I broke a mold because when you were talking about sabbatical it occurred to me it's like a circuit breaker because you also talked about you know they couldn't wait to get back to work from your holiday and I think many people have habitualized themselves to work and like well work has to happen and I have to do it and you mentioned before about identity and I think what would be the circuit breaker of I could do things differently but I could also reflect on what I have done differently and see it maybe at a higher level and make that distinction between well there is a past that I did things and there may be some things from that I can bring to the future but I'm bringing them to the future as kind of meta level skills like this is an evidence when I did break the circuit on something or I radically was flexible or I created something. And it's interesting on that, Helen, is whether we recognise it or not, for the vast bulk of us, the pandemic forced us into a sort of a sabbatical mode Mm. because we weren't travelling to and forth to work. Lots of circuit breakers. Yes, we weren't going out to as many restaurants or theatres. We were brought back into our own resources and our family resources and online for many, that has caused mental illness and even suicide because, like, that degree of coming back on, on our own resources has mm. been too traumatic. I know for myself and many others, and I, I use this word inadvisedly, I guess, the pandemic has been a blessing. I know mm. it's been a curse to many, but, mm. you know, it's given me a chance. My wife needs care 24-7, so it's enabled me to be her caregiver 24-7. It's enabled me to look at myself and what I value and what's important and see and rethink and re-see and understand with new awareness how much the past is dead Mm. and and that the future now has to be created and it's us that have to create it. But we've got to be able to work through with our family, with our best mates, Mm. with a few other people that we respect what sort of future we would like, not just, oh, I can't wait to go back and do the job I've always done. Yes. So a thing that occurs to me is that many people who might be guidance counsellors or career advisors would be currently giving advice based on the past. So I'd like to invite you to think of if there was somebody who was starting in their workscape with this kind of future ahead that you're proposing, what advice would you give them about how to orientate that might be advice they're never probably going to hear from a guidance counsellor or a career counsellor? Oh, what a good question. Let me think. Okay. All right. So let, let me suggest eight things, if you like, that not only anybody starting out, hmm. but... Uh, anybody willing of, to do that circuit breaker, maybe, and yeah. reset themselves. The first is change our mindset from one job, one career, one whatever. Yes. Say, all right, my future is about performing work paid and unpaid in seven different areas. I need seven sources of income, not necessary, seven sources. That's the first question. And once that that forces back onto, well, what am I really good at or what could I be good at or where's Mm. my real talent? That re-evaluation is both looking internally and asking people, what am I really talented? Where, where could I have mastery? Yes. But it's also looking forward to what sort of world do I want? What sort mm. of future 
do Good one. I want for me and my family? So it's not what can I do or what have I done, what organisation would employ me, but, but what sort of future do I want? That's number one. Number two, instead of the focus on me as the economic unit, we need to see that the new economic social unit is our family, our extended family and our community. Mm. So I need to frame not what will I do within what organisation, but what will we be doing for our community? Mm. And that focus is quite extend. Uh, it changes us and it opens up a, a whole range of quite different thinking and, and possibilities. Yes. The third is that I think work hard at sculpturing a new us. Like this is a period of radical flexibility. It's a period where we have to change mindsets. We have to learn how to change mindsets. We have to learn how to learn, not mm. just learn. And we need to undertake processes of transformation, getting rid of our stinking thinking, you know, mm. uh, stopping those bad. I mean, just a little thing. During COVID, I put on eight kilos. I've now taken off nine. I am working solidly at getting that stomach down to a much flatter one. And that's metaphorically the sort of thing we're needing to be doing. Mm. Then we need to start the process of radical flexibility mm. by working through with our family and whatever what what specifically these seven sources of income might be mm. and put a ban on defining who we are by our paid work just stop it and find other ways of giving us an identity at the moment i'm saying i am a work in process at 80 oh, i love it <laughs> you know i haven't become who i'm going to be i'm a work in process i'm still fighting out what that new being would be and I've set a target of being able to have a clarity on that by the 1st of January next year mm. um, then accept that again symbolically and remember we live in a symbolic universe that by the end of this decade 20 hour weeks will be the norm mm. robots will have like in most developed nations including our service industries are 60 to 70 percent of the total workforce the total GDP and robots, just as they took over manufacturing and warehousing and construction, are now taking over medical operations. They're taking over learning robots with artificial intelligence. As I said, in Japan, they have sex robots that are being particularly used in uh, senior facilities. Mm. So the next point, number seven, I guess, if we do determine that one of our sources of income is to work for Big Brother, instead of you know, and, and for a person just starting out, their CV doesn't have any past. Hallelujah. So write the CVs as future. Here's mm. my talent. Here's what I aspire to. Here's yep. what I'd like to learn. Here's a, a few things that I think I can add. And I think that starts to put us all as innovators and forward. Mm. And the last thing is, in a very real way, create an innovation board for ourselves you know that, that I was arguing for a while that we found nine other like-minded human beings. Yes. We created a board. We set out to create 10 new ventures. Well, something like that we do as a family, an extended family, working on the future collaboratively and collectively. They're just a few of the things that I see as important and I'm personally working on. Brilliant. Neville, it's always a joy to talk to you. Thank you so many for those insights and those factual little informations. 
My pleasure. I uh, I hope that there's one or two things that people might be able to fasten onto there. Oh, I'm sure there will be. (laughs) (laughs) Good on you. Lovely as always to talk, Helen. Pleasure. Workscapes are changing everywhere. For more goodness to change your workscape, visit www.beselfunlimited.com 